When Holly and I were, were in college, um, we, uh, we went to junior college together, or community college together at Kapal Lincoln Community College in Wesson. And uh, we both were majoring in fields that made you take a lot of science. And so one summer, we, uh, we took physics together. We took physics together our, I guess, between our, our sophomore, our freshman and senior, sophomore year there at Colin. And, uh, it was, you know, summer classes, I, I don't know where it says it's in the Bible. I mean, I guess Leviticus, but summer school's the devil. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. It's just awful because uh, you've got to be there early and stay late, and it's terrible. And uh, the worst part, the worst summer classes are science classes because you have your teaching in the morning and the afternoon, and then you've got your lab later after that, and you feel like you're in class all day long. So there were several of us that were majoring in, the, in these fields together, and we all took physics that one summer together. So we would, we would get there some insanely early hour, and we would sit there with our brains just soaking up knowledge, shall we say. Um, melting is another word for it. Um, we would be in class all day, and then finally we would get a lunch break about lunch. We'd go to lunch, we'd come back, and we'd have some more class time and some more lab work. So that was our basic flow every day for, we took physics one and two, so basically two months of that summer. Uh, and so the highlight, the only highlight of that experience was every day at, uh, at noon we'd get a break. And our Wesson is kind of like your typical community college town. There's not really much there. If you any of you have been to Wesson, there's, I love Wesson. It's a great place. But there are really not a lot of places to eat there. So the highlight of, of Wesson was either going to the truck stop and eating there, or um, they had a great little restaurant in downtown, though, called the Wesson Cafe. And I don't think it's open anymore, but if you had ever been to Weston at that part of the world, you would have understood Weston Cafe really was some good food. It was not that expensive, so we college kids could eat there. And so we'd always go there, and we'd eat a big burger and french fries, and uh, we'd talk, and we'd not think about school, and we'd just enjoy it. So one day, it was me and Holly and a few others were there eating our wolf burger. And uh, I'm sitting there eating my—it's going to shock you. I like to talk when I eat. So I'm talking and eating and eating a little bit and talking a little bit and just doing my thing. And uh, I've eaten my hamburger, and I've got a few french fries left. In fact, I only have one french fry left. have one french fry left. And Holly reaches over and takes my last french fry. And I don't know what happened where you come from. But from where I come from, Tim, that's an act of aggression declaration of war, if you will. See, here's the thing. Holly and I weren't dating at that point. We were just friends, and our friendship almost ended because she took my last french fry. I mean, seriously, y'all, that's just, you know, and so it became, you know, I fussed at her, and she fussed at me, and yada, 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 and we, and, and to this day, it's become a, la- it's become a running joke in our marriage about the last french fry, and so sometimes we're eating, I'll have one french fry left, and I'll offer it to her as a sign of peace. So she took, she took my last french fry, you know, and it just still hurts me to this day that she would do that to me. Uh, there's something about, I mean, think about your life. How many stories in your life in some way come back to a meal? I mean, how many, how many of you have stories about your family or stories about your friends or stories about your spouse or your children that, that don't somehow kind of weave their self back to a shared meal? 
back to a shared experience at a table, back to a shared food. There's something, there's something incredibly important about that shared meal together at the table. Um, if you've ever been uh, to Israel with, with Sam or with anyone else, by the way, me and Sam are working on a little trip we might be taking, we'll, we'll be taking later this year. If you'd like to learn more about that, uh, grab me or Sam. We'd love to talk to you about it. But Sam... There's something about, there's something in that culture, the culture that Jesus came from, the culture of Jesus' Jesus' day. The Middle East, that, that, that culture remains so present th- today. And Sam tells a story one time about, about being with somebody and having been invited to their house. And, and they, they share a meal together. And they say when the meal's over... When you return here, you never have to look for a place to stay because we've now eaten together and we are family. We're, we've eaten together and we're now friends. And, and, and one of the members of the family asked the other one, said, can you explain to them how deeply this matters? So what does it mean to say that we have shared a meal and to say that we're friends? And he says, this is what it means. If there's ever a time when our relationship is ruptured, the fact that we have now shared this meal, the fact that we are now friends, means that we must do all in our power to make it right. We cannot allow this relationship to be ended. There's something so, and I, I think, about, think about our culture. We live in a culture of fast food. I mean, how many of us in the last 24 hours have eaten a meal with, your, with the food in one hand and your hand on the steering wheel? I mean, we live in a culture of fast food. By the way, I love fast food. It's phenomenal. It's got all those preservatives. It means you'll live forever if you eat it. But in that culture, a meal is not something you, a meal, a shared meal is a sign of relationship, a sign of a deeper thing. It is not to be taken trivially. In that culture, when someone invites you to sit at their table and share a meal, there is no higher act of fellowship, no higher act of relationship than a shared meal at a table. So then, what can it possibly mean for us that our Lord invites us to his table and says, take and eat? And our Lord doesn't just offer us his bread and his juice, but our Lord offers to us his body and his blood. Coming from that culture, that means that this relationship we have with him is so much deeper than just surface. This relationship that we have with Christ, this relationship that Christ offers to us is so much deeper than just a surface passing relationship. But this is the kind of relationship that isn't endable, isn't corruptible, isn't destroyable. That doesn't mean that we can't do our very best to mess things up. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes and blow it sometimes. That does not imply that we are perfect. But that implies this, that implies this. That there's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you are currently doing. There is nothing that you have done 
that rescinds Christ's invitation to you to come to his table. Christ does not view you as a servant. He views you as a child. And nothing can change that. This relationship we have with him, while might not be perfect, on our end at least, it's undestroyable on his end. In just a few minutes, our Lord invites you to his table. And coming from that part of the world, there literally is no higher and more sacred invitation than that. In our text today, we read out of Proverbs, those collected verses. And and I love how it says, this notion of Proverbs, that notion of equality. All the, everyone has this in common. The Lord made them. One of the things I I love, I believe so strongly is this, that in, in God's kingdom, there are no better thans. In God's kingdom, there are no less thans. There's only children. There's only children of the risen king. I I love that notion that it says that we all are made from the same God. Jesus put it like this. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think that passage in Proverbs teaches us two things that we see in the communion. That we see in communion just a second. One is the fact that that, that God loves them. He loves them. See, here's the thing. We've all got a them in our life, don't we? You know, we don't really like them. We disagree with them. They have made mistakes. They are less than. They, they. Jesus Christ died for them. No matter who they are to you, no matter who they are to me, no matter who they may be, no matter what they have done, God loves them. And Christ invites them to his table. God loves them no matter who they are. That's why it's so beautiful in Scripture when Jesus tells the story of the good samaritan you know it's one of those concepts that's kind of lost context for us in the passing of time you know we see the good samaritan as a great thing for the jews of jesus day the fact that when jesus tells his story of this heroic person that saved the life of another the fact that the hero was a samaritan was hard for them to believe because the Samaritans, for the Jewish people, were often seen, were seen as less than human. They were despised. They hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them. They had a mutual, not admiration society, hatred society. They hated each other. So in G, for Jesus to talk about who your neighbor was and how we should live, for him to make the hero, the neighbor, the one that does it right, a Samaritan, for the Jews of his day, they couldn't understand it. How could this guy... This Samaritan, be the hero. 
Well, Jesus came to save that Samaritan too. He loves them. And we've all got a them, y'all. Every one of us has a them. I don't know who your them is. But I know Jesus loves them. And as hard as it might be, and as much as we don't want to do it, as much as we can't do it on our own strength, we are called to love them as Jesus does. Because unforgiveness is you drinking a poison and expecting it to kill them. Doesn't kill them. They're fine. We're the ones that can't sleep at night. Jesus loves them. But you know who else he loves? He loves you. Even if you haven't forgiven them yet, he still loves you. Even if you've blown it, he still loves you. Even if you have done some stuff that you're ashamed of, he still loves you. Even if you aren't as faithful as you ought to be, he still loves you. No matter what's happened in your life, he still loves you. Because God the Father made you, the Son died for you, and the Spirit's reaching out to you. You are his. John Wesley talked about equality in God. He talked about the equality of the fact that we're all made in God's image. Every one of us. Me and you both. That Jesus Christ, that we've all made mistakes, we're all fallen, we've all blown it in some way. And Jesus Christ died for all of us. And when Jesus said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, we forget about the third love sometimes in that story, that parable, teaching. Love the Lord your God, love your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You are made in his image. He loves you. He sent his son for you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And he wants to walk with you each day. You are his beloved. You are his prize. You are sacred. You are his. You are made in his image. Christ died for you. You are marked with the Spirit. And you, this morning, no matter where you come from, no matter what's going on, no matter what has happened, you, this morning, are welcomed at his table. Because you are his. He has called you by name. And you are his. This morning... There's an invitation for you. You know, communion sometimes can be scary for some of us. Um, I grew up, and I often say, if you want to make an old school Methodist mad at you, don't serve in communion. They get all kind of angry. I grew up loving communion because I understood it, that it was this. It's not just a memorial meal of Christ's suffering but it's a meal of invitation because all are welcomed at this meal. And it's a meal of victory because, yes, Christ did suffer upon the cross. But you know what? He rose from the dead as well. This meal we share is not a funeral meal. 
but it is a meal foreshadowing what we will do when we cross over Jordan one day and we reach the other side and we will gather together with all the saints in glory and we will feast at his heavenly banquet, as our liturgy says. It's not a, it's not a meal of sadness or a meal of, of mourning or a meal of whatever. It is a meal of celebration because we are welcomed at his table no matter what. We have our place at his table no matter what. And one day, y'all, one day, one day we'll cross over. One day, we'll, as Paul says, we will know fully as we have been fully known. And we will see our Savior face to face. And we'll gather with all the saints of old. And we will feast forever. Oh, yeah. This meal is a foretaste of what is to come. This morning, no matter where you are, you are welcome to our Lord's table. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this meal. Father God, we ask that now, as we come to this time of communion, that, we, um, that we, God can just experience your power and your grace in a powerful way. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.